bless you. Amen. You are welcome to ATC 105. Tonight we'll be talking about faith and prayer. Faith and prayer. Faith and prayer are inseparable twins that must be given birth to in your life if you want to make appreciable and reasonable progress in your work with God. Faith and prayer. Without faith and prayer, without a life of faith and a life of prayer, a Christian cannot survive. Amen. But before we go into faith and prayer tonight, I just want to recap very briefly what we have done so far. Over five weeks ago, we started this series looking at our salvation. In that class, we examined God's original plan and intent for man. We're able to see in that class that God's plan for man is that God, man, will have dominion over every work, everything that God has created. And we were able to see in that class that you are essentially a spirit being. You live in a physical body and you have a soul. And we're able to show us in that class that it is your spirit that looks like God. And your physical body is what you have with you that we are seeing right now. And we're able to tell you that with your spirit man, you make contact with the spirit world. With your spirit man, you are God conscious. With your physical body, you are F conscious. And with your soul, you are self conscious. Amen. Now we're able to show you that your soul is the middleman between the spirit world and the physical world. And we're able to show us in that class that it is your physical body, it is your spirit man still habitating your physical body that gave you the legal permission to operate on earth. We're able to show us in that class that God, though he created the heavens and the earth, God cannot do anything on this earth except he finds a man that will cooperate with him and that will have that God's will be done on earth. And we are also showed us in that class also that same way the devil cannot do anything on this earth until he finds a man to cooperate with him. Amen. And the difference between God and Satan is that God will come to you and God will tell you his plans and will ask you to cooperate with him. And if you say, I don't want you, God, he will leave you alone. But the devil does not do that. The devil will come to you, will trick you, will deceive you. And once he has an inroad into your life, he possesses you. You are no more in control. He is now in control of your life. Amen. The devil is as powerful as the power that you give to him. As a Christian, the devil has no ability or any power over you beyond the one that you've given him. So take the power from the devil. Amen. He's supposed to be under your feet. So we're able to see in that place that man lost his position in God, that God, man, God, God made man to be a little bit lower than himself. God made man to be the crown of his creation. But man lost his position in God when he traded his position with the devil by obeying the devil. And the spirit of man died. Man died spiritually. And we're able to explain to us in that class that spiritual death means the life of man was separated from the life of God. And that through the Lord Jesus Christ, God made a way for man to be reconnected back to him. 
So when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you repented and you confessed your sins, your spirit man that was dead in Eden was made alive again to God by being reconnected back to God. Amen. And in the second class, we re-examine the issue of the new birth. Now that you are born again, what does it mean to be born again? And we're able to explain to us that Jesus said that except a man be born of water and of a spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and of a spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we're able to show us that your spirit man that was dead in Eden was made alive again when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. And we're able to show us in that class that now that you are born again, you are born again by the word of God and by the spirit of God. Amen. It is the word of God and the spirit of God that gave birth to you. And we're able to show you that now you are a new creation in Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. As far as God is concerned, you were not alive until the day you gave your life to Jesus. Heaven did not reckon with you until the day you gave your life to Jesus. From the day you gave your life to, to Jesus, then heaven reckoned that you started existing. Therefore, your past is gone. No matter the sins you've committed before you came to Jesus Christ, it is now under the blood. It is no more in remembrance. And the enemy cannot use that against you. Now that you are a new creation in Christ, you need to walk in the consciousness of your new identity. If not, the devil will keep drawing you back to your past. And they will use the past... He will use what you have done in your past to hold you down and to keep you in bondage to himself. Amen. So you are a new creation in Christ. Amen. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is no more mad at you. God is not mad at you. God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God wants you to be reconciled to himself. Amen. God wants you. The Bible says that Jesus came and he broke down the middle wall of partition, the enmity between God and man. Amen. Jesus is our peace. He has made a way for us even to come back to, to God. Hallelujah. And in the third class, it is in 103, we examine the issue of our mission and our driving force. We're able to show us that our mission, that our driving force is a person the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a third of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. Amen. The Holy Spirit has executive ability. We're able to show us that God the Father is the architect of all things. God the Son, represented by the Word of God, Jesus Christ himself, who became flesh. Amen. The Word of God is like the architect and the Holy Ghost is like the, is, is like the builder. Amen. We're able to show us that before you complete a building, the building is already completed before you start building. Why? You complete it on paper first by coming out with a plan. The word of God is a plan, but the Holy Spirit is a builder. Amen. So that's the reason why you need the word of God and the spirit of God. The word of God will tell you the architectural plan, the plan of God for your life, but it is the power of the Holy Ghost that will make that plan 
to be established in your life. And we're able to see that the presence, the power of the Holy Ghost is what empowers a Christian for ministry. You cannot afford not to have the Holy Ghost actively in your life. We're able to show us that even Jesus himself did not start his earthly ministry until after he was baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says that the Holy Ghost came from on high and alighted on him and dwelt upon him. Amen. And Jesus, when he was going in the book of chapter, uh, Luke chapter 24, towards the last part of the verse, he told his disciples, he said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem. Do not do anything until you are endued with power from one eye. That means Jesus is telling his disciples, If I, Jesus, did not start my ministry until the Holy Ghost came upon me, you guys should not do anything until the Holy Ghost came upon you. And they did not do anything until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came from heaven and descended upon all of them. And they were all empowered for ministry. Can you see the difference between Peter who denied Jesus and the Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached by one preaching, 3,000 people got saved. What's the difference? The Holy Ghost empowered him. When the Holy Ghost comes upon your life, it will make you to be a bold Christian. Amen. You will not be timid. Amen. If you're an introvert, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you become an extrovert. Amen. When you are somebody who is passive, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, become somebody who is active. Amen. The Holy Ghost empowers us for ministry. Hallelujah. And we encourage everyone, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, please take advantage of this power package that Jesus Christ has made available to us through the person the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we also saw in that class that our mission as a church is evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, so that we can move people away from the community and bring them to the core where ministry and missions takes place. Amen. Um, this week, we are moving to 1805, which is faith and prayer. There's a class that we are skipping. It's 1804, which talks about our structure. Um, that's a class that Pastor Kelly and his wife takes. And because Pastor Kelly is on a mission trip to Kenya, Nairobi, Africa, until he comes back, we won't have that class. So probably we have it next week or the week after. Amen. So tonight we examine the issue of faith and prayer. Like I said earlier, faith and prayer are inseparable twins that must be born in your heart. Amen. Now, there are six objectives that must be accomplished before the end of this class. One, you must be able to appreciate what faith is and how, faith, how, God, how important God views faith. Two, you must be able to appreciate the basic elements and principles of faith. Three, you must be able to appreciate how to develop faith from the measure of faith that was deposited in you when you gave your life to Jesus. Four, you must be able to appreciate what prayer is and the basic principles of prayer. And five, you must be able to appreciate the basic types of prayer. Six, you must be able to appreciate the power of praying in the spirit. So the big question is this, what is faith? What is faith? The simplest definition of faith that I have come across is the one given by one man of God. And it defined faith as this. It says, faith is taking the word of God seriously. <laughs> That's a very simple but very powerful definition. 
Faith is taking the word of God seriously. Amen. What is faith? When you look at the English dictionary of faith, it says that faith is having a confident belief in the truth, value, or trustworthiness of a person, idea, or thing. It also defines faith as the belief that does not rest on logical proof or material evidence. That means when you have faith and you, uh, when you have belief in something, if somebody tells you to produce a physical or material evidence, you may not have it, but you believe it. Amen. That is faith. It also defines faith as loyalty to, the per- to a person or a thing, not to have allegiance to a thing or a person. Amen. So the question is this. Do you believe God's word as a truth? Do you believe, do you consider the person of God as trustworthy enough to believe his word as written in scripture? Let me give you an example. What's your name, sir? Robert. If I tell you, Robert, um, can you see me in my office tomorrow? And I will give you a check for $1 billion. Will you believe me? It will be hard to believe. Why? Because, because you know me quite a bit. You may not know me a lot. But you know me a bit. And the bit you know about me, it does not sound as if I have $1 million. How much more? $1 billion. So that's the reason why you didn't believe me. Okay, now let me give you another scenario. Do you know Bill Gates? You've heard of him. You know he's a multi-billionaire. All right? If Bill Gates were to be here tonight and he looks at you and says, Robert, come to my office tomorrow. I will give you a check for half a million dollars. Will you believe it? You will believe it. Why? Because you know him. He's a multi-billionaire. Half a million dollars is nothing to him. Does that make sense to you? So what's the difference between what I said to you that I will give you and he will give you? The difference is that the person who is saying the word, sometimes it's not the word that is being spoken, but the person, the personality behind the word being spoken. Does that make sense to you? What I'm trying to put across to you is this. For you to take somebody's word seriously, you must believe in the person of that person that that person can be trusted. Does that make sense to you? You must believe that when that person speaks, that person can never lie. So when that man of God says that faith is taking the word of God seriously, what he's talking about is this. Do you believe in the personality of God that God can never lie? So if you believe that God can never lie, so when God speaks to you by his word, then you can bet your life on it that that's the truth. So that is faith. Taking the word of God seriously. Does that make sense to you? Now let me come from another angle. Everybody has faith. Believers, unbelievers, you have faith. I'll prove it to you. Now you came here this evening and you sat on the pew without thinking. Because you have faith in the pew. That the pew is strong enough to support your weight. Does that make sense to you? So that means you have faith in the pew. That the pew can support your, your, your weight. Alright? 
So, the problem is not a lack of faith. The problem is your choice of what you have faith in. So, faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. If I tell you God is good, God will heal you today. It's a choice for you to believe it or not to believe it. Does that make sense to you? So, faith is a choice. The problem is not a lack of faith. The problem is the choice of what you choose to believe. You know, you tell the word, you say the word of God to somebody, say, I don't believe that. It's a choice. They choose not to believe it. Amen? But when you choose to believe the word of God as truth, then faith is born in your heart. Now, let's go into the scriptures and see what is faith. Come with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is a choice. So the question is, what forms or what informs your belief system? Everybody has, everybody have a belief system. What's, what forms your belief system? Is it the word of God or the word of man? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. That is written from the NIV translation. Faith is being sure of what you are hoping for, and being certain of what you do not see. What is faith? For instance, if I tell you that I have a five-bedroom house in Overland Park, you may believe me or you may choose not to believe me. But if you ask me, how am I sure that that is true? If I bring the title of that house, say this is the title, and you look at it, and you see this is authentic, this is original. Then you will believe me that, yes, I have a five-bedroom house in Overland Park. Is that okay? Though you have not seen the house, but because you have the evidence, the title deed of that house, you believe that I have the house. Does that make sense to you? So faith is a title deed of what we believe God for. Though you have not seen it, but you have the evidence that you have it. Because you are not going to have it until you have the evidence first. Does that make sense to you? It's like I was talking to a car dealer. We're talking about, I was talking to him and um, somebody wants to buy a car from him. And that person said, why don't you sign the title for me? <laughs> the guy said, if once I sign that title, the car is yours. Even if you don't pay me, there's nothing I can do about it. He who has a title has a property, legally speaking. Is that correct? So whatever you believe God for, whatever you are hoping God to do for you, if you have the faith, the title, the deed, then you can have it. 
Does that make sense to you? Looking at it in New Trans, uh, James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. New Living Tradition says that what is faith? Faith is, it is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. How many people were here when Jesus was crucified? How many people were living there? Were you there when Jesus was crucified? But do you believe that he was crucified? Then you have faith. Does that make sense to you? Let's look at what the Amplified Version says. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. You see, if you are going to be walking with God, you cannot walk with God with your senses. Maybe you come to church and the worship is going on and you say, I can't feel God here. God is beyond your feelings. Whether you can feel God is a function of what you went through (laughs) in the day. Your emotions. But God is not emotion. God is an emotional God. He has emotions. But he's he's not emotion. Does that make sense to you? Faith is believing as real fact what is not revealed to your senses. Amen. You may not sense it. You may not have a physical manifestation of it, but you believe it. So it means that faith is putting our trust, first of all, in the trustworthiness of the person of God, then his word. Does that make sense to you? It would be easier for you to have faith in God when you believe and trust in the person of God that God cannot lie. It would be easier for you to have faith in his word. Amen. If you know somebody who has always been telling lies, <laughs> like we used to say back home, we say some people they can tell lies and the dead will rise. <laughs> That means when we have a corpse lying there of a dead man, some people can lie against that dead man that that man will come back to life. Say, wow, Abba. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Amen. So if we have somebody whose personality has been demonstrated as a liar, it will be difficult for you to believe even when that person is telling the truth. Does that make sense to you? But if you have known somebody that this person never tells lies, when that person speaks, you take their word seriously. Does that make sense to you? So, if you can believe in the person of God, that God can never lie, then it will be easier for you to have faith when he speaks to you by his word. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Now, let's look at how does God view faith? <laughs> as far as God is concerned, 
you cannot please God without faith. As far as God is concerned, you cannot walk with God without faith. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says that, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, notice yet, it did not say that it is hard to please God. Notice, it did not say it is difficult to please God. It says it is impossible. That means it can never happen. It is impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the way God views faith. If you don't have faith in him, you can't get anything from him. And let me give you this free of charge. Free of charge. I won't charge you for this. Amen. Do you know when the devil attacks you, he has only one goal in mind. Only one. He can attack your finances. He can attack your marriage. He can attack your job. He can attack your family. But no matter what area he's attacking you, he has one goal in mind. What is it? Do you know? Jesus said, the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He cannot steal, he cannot kill, he cannot destroy without one thing that you always attack. There's one thing. Let me give it to you free of charge. That's why I said I will give you free of charge. There's one thing, only one thing that the enemy always aims for when he attacks you. If he cannot get that thing, he can never get you. Do you know what it is? No. No. Your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Any attack of the enemy against you, it is designed to steal your faith. Because if he steals your faith, then you cannot please God. Then you become meat for him. Let me give you an example. Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, Peter, Peter, the devil. Just a moment, sir. The devil has asked to sift you. Then Jesus said, but I've prayed for you. Well, what did he pray for him? He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fails not. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith fails not. He said, when you are restored, then strengthen your brethren. Why? Because Jesus knows that as long as the faith of Peter does not fail, it will be restored. So whenever the devil comes against you, I don't care how hard or in what way he comes against you, he has one goal in mind to steal your faith. Because once he gets you not to believe God, you cannot please God and you can't have anything from God. Then he can kill you. Then he can steal. Then he can destroy. But when you are strong in faith, look at Peter. He denied Jesus. Exactly the same thing that, Jesus, that Judas did. That was exactly the same thing that Peter did. But what happened to Peter? He was prayed for that his faith will not fail. So he came back. 
I tell you, if Jesus had repented and asked for forgiveness, he would be in heaven today. But the devil attacked him and stole his faith. So, coming back to our subject, how does God view faith? That's the most important thing in your life. After you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. As far as God is concerned, a lack of faith in him or his his word is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. To please God, we must believe that he exists. We must believe that he rewards us appropriately when we put our trust in him. Amen. You must have an undivided trust and believe and faith and loyalty to God and his word then you'll be able to make progress in your work with God. Now, even God himself subject himself to his words. Let's look at the book of Psalms 138, verse 2. The psalmist says here, he said, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Listen to this next sentence, statement. He said, for you have magnified your word above all your name. For you have magnified all your word above all your name. What does that mean? Do you know the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, all knees shall bow and all tongues shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of things in heaven and of things in the earth and of things under the earth. Everything bows to the name of Jesus. But the Bible tells us here that God places his name, his word, above his name. <laughs> Are you catching that? At the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus above everything. But the Bible is saying that God even places his word even above his name. So that means... The word of God cannot be compromised. If God says it, for God not to do what he says, what he say he will do, God must first of all de- destroy himself. If he will first of all stop being God. Everybody used to say that God can do all things. That's not correct. I know what God cannot do. He cannot lie. <laughs> he can do all things, but he cannot lie. <laughs> Amen. And because God cannot lie, then you can put your absolute trust in whatsoever he tells you. By his word. Amen. Now, having established the importance of faith in your work as a Christian, now let's look at some basic elements and some principles of faith. I've not forgotten your question, sir. I've not forgotten your question. Just hold on to it. At the end of the class, you can ask me. Basic elements and principles of faith. There are four elements of faith. There are four things that can help you to build your faith. One, the word of God. Two, your confession. Three, hope. And four, passion and compassion. Amen. I will talk about the first three And I will leave the last one to talk when I address prayer. 
Now, let's look at the word. You see, when you look at the English Bible, it just says the word. But when you look at the Greek New Testament, because the New Testament was written in Greek language, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew language. So the English Bible was translated directly from the Greek language. Now, there are some words that means the same thing in English language, but in Greek, they have different meanings. Now, for instance, in the Greek, there are different, there are three different ways. Uh, there are three different words that can be translated as word in English. The first one we'll be looking at is the word rema. Rema is a Greek word that means spoken word. As I'm speaking to you, I'm releasing spoken words. There are words though, but they are being spoken. Does that make sense to you? That's rema. So we have three words. We have the graphe, we have the logos, and we have the rema. So let's look at the graphe. What is the graphe? Graphe means the written word. The scripture or the written code. That's where we got the word graphics. Have you heard of the word graphics? Graphical. It just means the written word. Something that is written. Amen. Now, you see, the graphe is just a part of all of the complete word of God. It's not the complete word of God. The written word, as it is written... It's just a part. Amen. Now the the graphe is just a part. Of the word of God. But it's not. The total word of God. The Bible says. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 4 to 6. The problem with having just the graphic. Without other things is this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 4 to 6 says that um, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Have you come across people? Have you come across people, they can quote for you Genesis to Revelation. But when you look at their lives, it does not reflect the amount of knowledge they have. Why? Because just having the graphy. Ain't going to help you. It's good to have the graphic. It's good to have the written word. It's good to know the word. But if you have only that, you won't go far. So the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, it says that as we have such trust through Christ who was God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of, to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. 
who has made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter, that word letter kills. That word letter means graphy. But the spirit gives life. What I was saying, we, we, we said two classes away that it is the word of God and the spirit of God that gave birth to you. Amen? Without the word, the spirit can do nothing. And without the spirit, the word can do nothing. They must go together for them to have creative abilities. Amen. So, Jesus even told us in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they carry life. That means, the word of God without the spirit of God cannot have effect. Cannot have the full effect it's supposed to have in your life. The Holy Spirit must breathe upon the word of God that is in your heart for it to come alive. Amen. So, some people say the Bible says, the Bible says, but when you look at their lives, nothing is happening. Alright? So, your faith should not just be in the letter. So, let's look at Logos. Logos means the living word of God. Logos means the complete or the totality of the word of God. Amen. And the Logos is made to represent Jesus. In the book of John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. That word translated as word is, In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was God. And the Logos was with God. And through the Logos was everything made that was made. Amen. And there was nothing made that was made except by the Logos. And when you come down to verse 12 or verse 14, and it says, And the Logos became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the begotten of the Father. This is speaking about Jesus. So Jesus is the Logos. He's the complete word of God. Now, let me explain what I mean by the complete word of God. Do you know that everything I say to you is not everything that I have in my heart? It's not everything I have. My spoken word, which is my rema, is just a part of what is in my mind or in my heart. Is that okay? So, my spoken word and... The words I'm thinking in my mind and everything I have in my heart is the completion, is, is the complete words in my, in my life. Everything I have in my heart, including the one that I've written, including the one that I've spoken, including the ones that I'm thinking about, is part of the totality of what I have. So Jesus is the totality of the word of God. So Jesus is the Logos. Amen. And until the Logos is made to become flesh, it does not have, it cannot perform the full function supposed to do in your life. Amen. Now let's speak about the third one, the Rema. The Rema is the spoken word of God. It is 
the spoken word of God that has a potency or the power or the ability when it is released to create things. Amen. If you want to create a miracle, you need to speak. Think about this. The Bible says that God walked for six days when he created the heavens and the earth. Or when he recreated the earth and the heavens. And on the seventh day, he rested from his walk. The question is this. What walk was he doing for six days? He was busy speaking. Say, let there be light. And there was light. All the work of creation he did, he spoke. So, speaking is work. Speaking to create things is work. Speaking from the realm of a spirit to have physical effect on the earth is work. Amen. So, the rema is powerful. So, you have the graphy, you have the logos, but until you rema it out, you won't have creative miracles in your life. Have you seen people who believe in Jesus? But nothing is happening in their lives. Because there's no connection. You must speak out what you believe. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That word there is rema. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rema of God. Amen. The more you hear the word of God, and the more you give voice to it, the more power, the more creative, miraculous power that is released in your life. Amen. You must speak what you believe for you to see results in your life. Amen. So that is word. We're talking about what are the things that can help to build faith. The first, the first thing that will help you is the word of God. The word of God must be well and alive in your life. You must have the written word of God in your heart. Amen. You must speak the word of God by your mouth, through your mouth. And you must have the living word himself, Jesus Christ, living in your life. The word must become flesh and dwell in your heart. Hallelujah. Now, another element that can help you to build your faith is what we call hope. Now, in the church world, we talk so much about faith. But many times, we forget another element of faith. What is the definition of faith? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, says that without faith, I mean, 11 verse 1 says that faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Substance of the things hoped for. I put it to you. If you have no hope, then you can never have faith. Does that make sense to you? Because faith is the evidence of the things hoped for. So when you don't have hope, then you can, forget it. You can't develop faith. You cannot have faith. So it means when hope is dead, your faith is dead. When hope is dead, faith is dead. Because faith gets its power from hope. 
Faith is like the vehicle or the car. And hope is a gas. No gas, your vehicle, your car ain't going nowhere. Does that make sense to you? Have you heard this statement before? When there is hope, there is life. Have you heard that statement before? We used to say it back home. We say that when there is hope, there is life. When you have hope, then you have a hope that you may have, it may be better. Amen. Hallelujah. So what is hope? Hope is the inner image that is painted in our minds and then in our hearts by the word of God. Hope is the fuel for our faith. Are you flowing with me tonight? Hope gives strength to your faith. Hope is what gives you the strength to patiently wait until what you believe God for comes to pass in your life. Does that make sense to you? If you don't have hope, your faith will soon die out. Hope is what gives you strength to patiently wait for the precious promise of God to come to pass in your life. Does that make sense to you? The Bible said concerning Abraham, the Bible says that he hoped against hope. He was given a promise when he was 75 years old, and that promise did not come to pass in his life until he was 100 years old. He waited 25 years. That means if he, didn't, if he had lost hope, even on the 24th year of waiting, he will not have the promise. So when you don't have hope, or when you lose hope, your faith will run out. I don't care how much faith you have now. Is that okay? If your faith is going to be sustained, your hope must be alive. And the question is this. How do you have hope? Before I talk about what, how do you have hope, there are two kinds of hope. There's what we call the carnal or the natural hope. And there is what we call the spiritual hope. What do we mean by carnal or natural hope? A carnal or natural hope is when your hope is based only on natural things. What's natural thing? Well, if I have a job, I'll be able to pay my bills. I hope to have a job or because I have a job, I hope I'll be able to pay my bills when I receive my salary. Right? That is natural hope. But spiritual hope is this. I don't care whether I have a job or not. My bills will be paid. Because the Bible says that God supplies my need according to his riches in glory. So I don't care whether a job is there or not. But I'm ready to work if God provides a job. So my hope, the other one is a spiritual hope. It's based purely on the word of God. Does that make sense to you? So I said that hope is the inner image painted in your mind. You see, our mind is so powerful. Let me paint a picture in your mind. Let me paint a picture in your mind right now. Everybody listen to me closely. I want to paint a picture in your mind to know, so that you can know how powerful your mind is. Imagine. 
There's a big 850 pounds bulldog. A black 850 pounds bulldog. Can you see that in your mind? It's running towards you. And his jaws are open. And his mouth can take your head three times the size of your head. And it's running towards you, wanting to grab your head. Can you picture in your mind a big black bulldog, 850 pounds? Can you see how creative your imagination is? Amen. When the word of God comes to you, it should paint a picture in your heart. And when that picture is painted in your heart, it gives birth to, it gives birth to hope. And when you have hope based on the word of God, it's easy for you to have faith. Does that make sense to you? Look at it this way. Somebody is sick. And I come to him and say, Robert, do you know God wants to heal you? Say, how? You know, the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, that all our sicknesses and diseases were taken care of. And I begin to paint a picture. Do you know it has been discovered in medical science that every disease in the world, the ones that we have discovered and the ones we are yet to discover, they can be categorized into 39 different categories. And we have it on record that Jesus received 39 stripes before he was crucified. And the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, you have been healed. That means that every stripe that Jesus received on the cross dealt with a category of sickness and disease. Do you understand that? And by the stripes of Jesus, you have been healed. Therefore, Robert, you don't have to be sick because Jesus carried your pain. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah 53, it says that he himself in his own body, he bore our sicknesses and diseases. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him because it pleases God to bruise him for your iniquities and your sins. Therefore, Robert, you do not need to be sick. God has healed you. Jesus has healed you. Now, as I begin to paint a picture of hope based on the word of God in his heart, you can see faith rising up. Maybe in his mind he was sleeping, waiting to die from the disease. By the hope that I'm speaking to him, being created by the word of God, because I'm painting an imagination, I'm painting a picture in his mind by the word of God, hope is rising up, and as hope is rising up, that hope will rise up to a point whereby faith will just arise. And one day we just say, I'm not sick, I'm healed. There was a woman, can I take and wrote this in one of his, book, you know, if, of his books? There was this woman who is paraplegic. Both legs are paralyzed and she was on a wheelchair. And she got a tape of Kenneth Hagin on healing. And she listened to it every day for 42 days. On the 42nd day, she stood up from her wheelchair. Because every day she listened to it, the words of God being preached in that tape 
was building hope until one day it built faith. And one day the faith was substantial enough that she said, no way. I'm not supposed to be on this wheelchair. And she stood up with nobody praying for her or laying hands on her she, by just listening to a tape 42 days in a row. Does that make sense to you? So when there is hope, there is life. Amen. So let the word of God paint the picture of hope in your heart so that it can fuel your faith. And another element of faith is confession. Confession. Confession means just speaking out the word of God. Rema. Amen. The Bible says that by the confession of your mouth, you will be saved. It says, with the heart you believe unto righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10. But with the mouth, by confession, you are saved. Amen. You see, until God began to speak in Genesis chapter 1, nothing happened. The Bible says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. The earth was without form and void. And the Spirit of the Lord was overing upon the surfaces of the waters. I've told you that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the power of God. But the Holy Spirit did not do anything until God spoke. And I've told you before that the Word of God is like an architectural plan. And the Holy Spirit is like the builder. Until you speak out the Word of God, you don't have anything. You may believe in your heart, but until you speak it out, many times nothing will happen. For you to have a physical manifestation of what you are believing God for, you need to speak it out. Either in prayer or by confession. Amen. So we've spoken right now about three elements of faith. The Word of God. You must have the Word of God, the Logos, the Graphe, and the, and the Rema. Active in your life. You must have hope. Hope is what will give you the fuel and the strength to patiently wait for the promise of God to come to pass in your life. And your confession. The confession of your faith. Amen. Hallelujah. The creative potentials of your faith is released by confession of your mouth. Amen. Can you see as I was confessing the word of God to you? Can you see that something is rising up on your inside? You are releasing something. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 105 or somewhere, it says that angels are to the voice of God's word. The Bible then says that angels are to the voice of God. It says angels are to the voice of God's word. What does that mean? If you should give voice to the word of God, angels will hearken to you. Because angels hearken to the voice of God's word. Angels recognize the word of God. So anywhere they are hearing the word of God being spoken, it activates them. Whether it is God speaking his word or you speaking the word of God, angels are activated by the word of God. So confession will help you to develop your faith and to see the creative potentials of your faith to be released in God. Are you flowing with me tonight? I thought that you would make a shout to the Lord tonight for that. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Yes, ma'am. I think it's somewhere in Psalm 105. I can give it to you. I can get it for you later on. Amen. Yeah, somewhere in Psalm 105, but I will give it to you later on. Amen. So, now, I've spoken about this upward confession. How does this work? The graphe is information. Graphe informs you of all the precious promises of God to you. But if you do nothing with the graphe, it remains important and it's just another information or knowledge that puffs you up. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Amen? So the graphe needs to be transported into your heart to transform your thinking. Then it will become potent. Graphe or the written word of God needs to be alive in your heart for it to be productive. Amen. Have you heard this word before? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you have a lot of the word of God in your heart, you will speak out of a heart that is full of faith. Jesus said, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed to the sea, and you do not doubt in your heart, it shall be done to you. It shall be done for you. You shall have us wherever you say. Amen. So let's look at the faith building process. You got saved. Every believer got saved. And when you got saved, God deposited in your heart a measure of faith. Because for you to come to Jesus, for you to say the sinner's prayer, there was faith in your heart. Like I said, faith, the problem is not a lack of faith, but the lack of what you, you choose to believe. Is that okay? When you get, give your life to Jesus, you choose to believe Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So God has given you a measure of faith according to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Now, it is your responsibility to build on this measure of faith and develop your faith further in God. Amen. The process is this. You receive the word of God into your heart as a truth. When you study or when you are being preached at in church, you believe it as the absolute truth, and you let it become part of your thinking pattern. You meditate on the word of God, you think about it, you speak it boldly, then faith will be born in your heart. And whenever you stand to speak, you speak out of a heart filled of faith. Amen. And as you begin to speak, the Holy Spirit will breathe upon the word of God that you are speaking. Because Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirits, and they carry life. Amen. And faith is a spirit. The spirit of faith will be born in your heart when the word of God <laughs> has a place in your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight about faith? Amen. So let's talk about prayer. It was necessary for us to talk about faith before prayer. <laughs> Because without faith, then don't, don't bother to talk about prayer. Because you have to pray based on your faith. Amen. What is prayer? Prayer is a privileged two-way communication between man and God. What does that mean? 
prayer is a two-way communication between man and God. In prayer, you speak to God and God speaks back to you. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is not a monologue. Some people, they just speak to God in prayer. And they don't bother to wait on God to hear what he has to say to them. What is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is to establish on earth what God has already planned to be done on earth. Jesus said when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. God has a plan and purpose of what he wants to be done on earth. So prayer is what you use as a Christian to cooperate with God so that the will of God can be done on earth. Hey, young man. Come, come. Come and sit over here. You are distracting. Come, come and sit in the front. Amen. So prayer is a two-way privileged communication between man and God. Amen. Somebody once said, God will do nothing on earth except by answer to prayer. God will do nothing on earth except by answer to prayer. Somebody says, I'm waiting on God to do something. Say, no, God is waiting on you. (laughs) God is waiting on you to pray to him so that he can do some creative miracles on earth. When God created man, he gave man the authority to operate on earth. Is that okay? So God ain't going to usurp that authority. I said earlier, if God wants to do something on this earth, he looks for a man. Who will cooperate with him and do his will. And if the devil wants to do something on this earth, he looks for a man, uh, an, an agent to use. So whether God or the devil... Either of them cannot do anything on this earth without a man. God created the heaven and earth, but he chose when he created us to give us the authority to operate on earth. And God is such a good God that if he gives you something, he doesn't take you back. He doesn't take it back, even when you misuse it. The Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Does that make sense to you? So God looks for a man. We will pray to him that his will will be done on earth. So God is waiting on you and I. Somebody said, every area of failure in your life is as a result of prayer failure. Every area of failure in your life is as a result of your Failure to pray. Let me say it once more. Every area of failure in your life is as a result of prayer failure. When you fail in the realm of prayer, in the place of prayer, then areas of your life will begin to fail. You see, the reason why the whole world was in chaos today is because somebody is not praying as they ought to pray. 
the reason why we have so much homicide going on in Kansas City, this year alone we have seen so much homicide, is because somebody is not praying as they should be praying. Why? When Jesus was going, he said, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. I've said this before. The U.S. military went to Iraq. They defeated Saddam Hussein after some days, some few days in Iraq. But the war is still going on. What are they doing? They were an attacking force when they entered Iraq. But they are now an occupational force trying to maintain the victory that they had. So you and I are supposed to be God's occupational force on the earth. Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has defeated our enemy called Satan on the cross of Calvary. But he has given you and I the ability and the charge to occupy till he comes back for us. Amen. Remember, Jesus was saying in the book of Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. He says that the church is marching forward. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He said, whatsoever two of you shall agree upon on the earth shall be done. And two. <laughs> Have you gone to a meeting before? And they will tell you, well, we don't form a quorum, so we can't take votes. But Jesus is saying, for you to, have to form a quorum, spiritually, just two. That's the reason why the enemy is attacking the marriage institution. Because when you have a husband and wife who are united together, two, whatsoever they agree upon shall be done. Amen. Are you playing with me? So in prayer, when you agree with God, the will of God will be done on earth. The way prayer works is this. God should hold us responsible for what is happening in Kansas City. All the murders, rape, harm robbery, killings, everything going on. We are responsible. Because we have not prayed enough to take charge of our city. Can you imagine if every Christian, born again Christian in Kansas City are praying, taking charge of Kansas City? Crime will reduce. Why? Because souls will get saved. If we are praying and we are going out on our church and evangelism. Amen. Crime will go down. Because we pray. So every area of your life that you are filled. is not because of any other thing. It's because we are filled in prayer. So let's look at the basic elements of prayer. The first element of prayer is faith. When you don't have faith, forget about prayer. It won't, it won't work. So that's why we spoke about faith first. Then the second element of prayer is the word of God. You pray based on the word of God. And the third element of prayer is passion and compassion. <laughs> when any of these elements of prayer is missing, it's either your prayer will not work, or it will be ineffective. Without faith, forget it. Nothing will work. If you have faith, but you are, you are not praying according to the word of God, you won't be effective in prayer. You're just making a lot of noise and be seeing very little results. 
And when you don't have passion and compassion, you have some ineffectiveness in your prayer life. I've spoken about faith. I've spoken about the word of God. But let me elaborate a little bit more. I've seen many people here in this country, when they pray, they pray in English language. But unfortunately, the devil does not understand English language. Let me, let me explain what I mean. <laughs> the devil does not understand English. Maybe you want to pray for somebody who is sick. Lord, heal him, heal him, heal him. Heal him, heal him, heal him, heal him. Lord, I beg you, heal him. Lord, I plead with you, heal him. That person will probably not be healed. Why? Because you are praying in English. <laughs> Don't worry, I will explain what I mean. <laughs> but if you stop praying in English and you begin to pray the word of God, then that's the language that the devil understands. Say, Father, I just want to thank you for my brother. Because your word says that he is the healed of the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you because your word says in the book of Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, that you are the Lord, our physician. You said in that place, Lord, that you will not allow any of the disease on the Egyptians to come upon us. Father, therefore, you also said in your word in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed and we have been made whole. Therefore, Father, I pray right now that every sickness and disease in this body, I command them to live right now in Jesus' name. Satan, I command you, lose your grip based on the authority of the word of God. Sickness, you have no authority in this body. I command you in the name of Jesus. Get out of this body. Lord, I speak to every cell, every tissue, every organ, every system in this body. I command you to be made all right now because the word of God says this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that anything that tries to contaminate or to destroy or to defile the temple of God, God will destroy. Sickness and disease, you are defiling this temple. I command you right now, be destroyed in Jesus' name. That guy will be healed. Why? Because I'm praying the word of God. But when you are praying in English language, nothing will happen. Pray the word. <laughs> Pray the word of God. Then you will have results in your prayer life. Can you see the difference between how you have been praying, praying in English and praying the word? The devil does not understand whatever language you are speaking. <laughs> I learned there was one great woman of God somewhere in Africa. She's a great woman of God. She was pre preaching and praying in English. But her English wasn't good enough. <laughs> but she was having <laughs> results. And those who speak good English, they're not having results. <laughs> she was trying to cast out the devil. Say, devil, I bind you. Went out of him. Let me say that again. She went out of him. You know, you have past tense, present tense. <laughs> say, devils went out of him. Instead of devils, go out of him. But do you know what happened when she said went out of him? They went out. <laughs> the devils went out. <laughs> it's not about English language. 
It's not about your ability. It's not about your oratory skills. It's not about your ability to speak well, fluently or not. It's your ability to use the word of God to speak to situations. Use the word of God. If that's what you know, if it's only the word of God you know, the devils will respond. The Bible that says that angels hearken to the voice of God's word. You give voice to the word of God. Angels will hearken to you. We have never seen yet. <laughs> we have never seen yet the manifestation of the powers of the believers. When believers begin to speak according to the word of God, when we begin to pray according to the word of God, we will see physical manifestation of the power of God released on the surface of this earth. Are you flowing with me tonight? Amen. God is good, I tell you. He gave us the power of his word. Now, let me speak briefly about passion and compassion. What is power? What is passion or compassion? Passion is defined in the dictionary as a deep awareness of the suffering of another, coupled with a wish to relieve it. Passion is also defined as a powerful, ardent desire or emotion directed at a particular object. What does this mean? You see, if somebody is sick, maybe somebody has cancer, and the doctor have given that person seven days to live. And maybe somewhere in your heart, you believe that that person should not die. And you want to pray for that person. Your prayer will be ineffective if you pray without passion and compassion. What is passion and compassion? The simplest way I can explain passion and compassion for you is when somebody is sick, you are feeling their pain. You are feeling their pain as if you are the one that is sick. You are feeling their pain as if they are the one that is sick. Right? You are feeling their pain as if you are, that pain is in your own body. Then when you pray, I don't know whether you have ever seen maybe a minister of God maybe operating in the healing ministry, and that man of God will say, is, that, is there somebody here who has a pain in their right knee? And that person will say, and that man of God will say, as I'm standing right now, I'm feeling a pain in my knee. Is there somebody here with a right knee pain? Maybe you've, you've never come across something like that. And they'll say, why? Because God puts that pain in their knee to tell them somebody here needs healing in their knee. So because they are feeling that pain, they will have to stop preaching to attend to that. Because they can't continue walking on the stage with the pain in their knee. Why? Because God loves that person so much that, person, that God wants to heal that person. So until you begin to feel the pain of the person you are praying for, it will be hard for you to pray with your whole heart. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 5, it says confess your, verse 16 to 18, it says confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed earnestly that it would rain, and it did not rain. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produces fruit. Let me read it from another translation. It says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man makes much power available which is tremendous or dynamic in his workings. Amen. You see, we need to... <laughs> you discover Jesus. Jesus never did anything until he was moved with compassion. Jesus never healed the sick until he was moved by compassion. Compassion is where the hand of God is pointing because God is a compassionate God. God have mercy on the sinners. God have mercy on those that do not deserve mercy. He is a compassionate God. God is compassionate. And wherever the passion of God is, that's where the healing hand of God will point. And any man of God around who can read the mind of God can follow the direction of where the hand of God is pointing and the power of God will be released. Amen. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 that when Jesus, 9, Matthew 9, 35 and 36, he said that when Jesus was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep that has no shepherd. He's talking about the multitude. That was when he began to heal them. Amen. The Bible says in another place that he was moved with compassion and he began to lay hands on them to heal them. Another place said that he was moved with compassion then he began to teach them. <laughs> Jesus always does things because he had compassion on the multitude of the people. Amen. And the Bible tells us in the book of Jude 21, it says that we should have compassion of, on some people making difference. You see, the difference between an effective prayer and an ineffective prayer is your ability to allow the Holy Ghost to release compassion in prayer in your life. And I see many people praying without passion or compassion. You need to pray with passion. You need to pray with compassion. Not a prayer you are praying and your mind is on what you're going to eat when you leave this place. May we say, there's a brother that is sick. Let's pray for that brother. And as you are praying, you are thinking of what am I going to eat tonight? And you are praying. Maybe you are praying in tongues or praying in understanding, but in your mind, you are thinking of what you're going to eat when you leave this place. That prayer hangs on the walk because it's not coming out of a heart of passion. It's not coming out of a compassionate heart. And it's not being released with passion. Amen. Now, what are the basic principles of prayer? In summary, the basic principle of prayer. One, prayer is our privilege as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is a two-way communication between God and man. Prayer must be made based on faith in God and his word. 
Effective prayer must be made with passion out of compassion. Amen. And we're going to close tonight looking at the Lord's model of prayer. You see, many people do not know how to pray. Same way, when Jesus came on the scene, the way Jesus was praying was different than the way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were praying. It was even different from the way John the Baptist was praying because many of the disciples of Jesus were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. So there was a day they were looking at Jesus. The way he was praying was so different. And they went to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them how to pray. And he says, he said, when you pray, pray like this. He said, in this manner, in this manner therefore pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus did not intend that when you want to pray, that that's all just what you will say. Do you know what they call template? Do you know what a template is? Template, yeah. A template is something, maybe if you want to make a cake. You make the flour, you mix it up, then you have a template. Maybe you want the cake to be round, or you want to make it a rectangle, I want to make it a triangle. You put the flour in the template. And your rough, flour, your rough flour that you mix, you put it in the oven. And when it is fully baked, it will take the shape of the template. This prayer model is a template. Jesus does not mean that when you have a problem, that that's all you pray. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's all you pray? Maybe somebody is sick and just went there to pray. Our Father, what in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. You have a bill to pay tomorrow. I don't have money. I want to pray. Our Father, what in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Nothing will work. So Jesus did not intend that you should say this when you want to pray. He gave us a template, a guideline. So this is how you pray. When you want to start praying, I want to ask your permission. We're running behind time. Do you give me 15 minutes extra? Do you give me 15 minutes extra? Okay, thanks. This is when you want to pray. <clears throat> this is what you do. The first thing you do is, our Father who art in heaven. What does that mean? The Bible says in the book of Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. You see, you guys in America, you have precedents. So you don't know the manner of kings. If you go to the United Kingdom, they have a queen and a king. <laughs> you see, there are palace manners. You don't enter the presence of a king just anyhow. In Africa, we have kings. 
So when you are at the gate of the king, before you enter his door, you begin to hail the king. Say, bless you, O you king of Kansas City. You are the owner of Kansas City. Without you, we can't do anything in this land. You are the greatest king of all. And the king is hearing you is in the palace. Then when you enter, say, long live the king, the owner of Kansas City. You are the greatest of all. You are the lord of this land. You begin, you begin to praise the king. You begin to sing his praises. Do you know what I will do to the king? Like we used to say, as you are singing his praise, his head will begin to swell. <laughs> Not physically. <laughs> he will begin to be excited. By the time you get into his presence fully, the guy is so much excited because of the praises that you've given him that he will now ask you, what is your request? It's almost 99.99% sure that whatsoever your request is, he will grant it. Because you came singing his praises, blessing him, exalting him. You see, when somebody does not respect you or honor you, it will be difficult for them to get anything from you. But when they respect you, they honor you, they give you due regard and honor. Whatsoever they want, they will get it. So, Jesus said, when you want to pray, start this way. Our Father who art in heaven. So, acknowledge God as a sovereign God. He's our heavenly Father. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the great I am. Enter his gates with praise and with thanksgiving. Why do you think that before we go into any service, we worship and praise? We are doing that. That's what Jesus always should do. Enter his presence with praise and with thanksgiving. What did we do when we went to start this class today? I said, let us bless the name of the Lord. Begin to praise the name of the Lord. And I don't know whether you felt it. The Holy Ghost came in here. And that's why you have been impacted tonight. Because we honored him. We praised him. So when you want to pray, enter into the presence of God with praise. Say, Father, I just want to thank you. Because this is the day that you have made. I am so glad and I rejoice in you, God. Father, I thank you because you are God in heaven. Father, I thank you because you are the eternal rock of ages, O God. Lord, you are my strong tower. I run into you and I am saved. Lord, I thank you for your provisions, O God. Lord, I thank you because you are my healer, O God. Lord, I thank you because of your divine protection that you've given me. Lord, I thank you because you have given your angels charge over me. They bear me up in their hands and I did not dash my feet against a stone. Oh Lord, I bless you because you are my shepherd. I do not lack anything good. You may not have eaten breakfast or lunch because you don't have money. <laughs> but praising. Because your hunger or lack does not change the fact that he is the provider. Because you are sick in your body does not change the fact that he is the healer. Your having a wreck does not change the fact that he has protected you and divinely kept you from evil. So praise, praise him for who he is and not for what you are going through. <laughs> Let me say that again. Praise God for who he is and not for what you are going through. Enter his gates with praise 
and is caught with thanksgiving. You begin to bless the name of the Lord. Oh, Father, I bless you. The Bible says somewhere, it says that, Praise the Lord and the earth will yield its increase. Praise the Lord and the earth will yield its increase. Maybe your own earth has become like hard ground. That nothing is coming out of the earth because it's it's like iron. When you begin to praise the Lord, the earth will begin to break forth and increase begins to come forth for you from the earth. So Jesus said, acknowledge God as our Father in heaven. Give him praise and thanksgiving. Amen. And after you have finished blessing him, after you have finished praising him, then the next thing to do is, hallowed be your name. You begin to worship him. Now, you see, praise and thanksgiving is different from worship. You begin to worship him. You say, hallowed your, help be your name. Begin to bless his name. Father, I bless you. Because your name is wonderful. Your name is excellent. Your name is beautiful. Oh, Father God, I bless you because you are beautiful more than diamond. Oh, Lord, you are precious more than gold, oh God. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your name is Jehovah Rapha. Oh, you are the healer. I hallow your name. Lord, I bless your name today because you are God, oh God. I bless your name because your name is Elohim. You are God, the creator. Oh, Lord, I bless your name because your name is Jehovah Roy. Oh, you are the great shepherd, oh God. I bless your name. You begin to bless the name of the Lord. Now, what are you doing? You are preparing a way to be ushered into the presence of God. Because, listen folks, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? You see, when you pray, normally when you pray, angels hearken to the voice of God's word. When you pray, angels will come and they will carry your request to God, to the throne of God. Right? But when you praise, angels, they step back and God himself comes down. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Let me say that again. You didn't catch it. When you pray, angels are to the voice of God's word. So angels will come. Say, what are oh, Somebody is putting a voice to the word of God. So what do you say? What is your request? So as you are praying your request, they will carry your request to God. God will now say, okay, grant the request. But when you praise, angels step back. Because they cannot do praise. It's praise is only for God. God will come down. You see, the angel that tried to handle the praise of God was sent out of heaven. His name is Satan. So angels don't meddle with praise. It's not theirs. It's God's. So when you praise, God comes down. Amen. God comes down. So when you hallow his name, are you feeling the anointing here tonight? Because we are praising him. God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. So hallow be your name. You begin to bless the name of the Lord. Because his mercies endures forever. Remember the king Jehoshaphat in the book of First Chronicles? The Bible says that when they went to war, that the king Jehoshaphat put the singers and the praise worship singers in front and the army behind. Then as the praise worship team began to sing, the Lord is good and his message endures forever. 
as they began to sing the praises of God, the Bible says that God began to rain ambushment against their enemy. God will fight your battles for you when you begin to praise him. That difficult situation in your life that refused to move, that mountain in your life that refused to move, when you begin to praise and worship God, that mountain begins to move. Amen. Then, after you've blessed him and you have hallowed his name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we are talking about palace protocols. When you, are want, when you want to be ushered into the presence of a king, you first of all praise him, you give him thanks and you hallow his name. Then the next thing is this. And I say, God, now that I've praised you, what is in your, on your mind? What do you want to be done on earth? Because one, I want to meet your need. God has a need. What is his need? God wants something to be done on earth. But he himself, he limited himself to you, to man. He can't do anything on earth except he finds a man. So he said, God, what's on your mind? What have you decided in heaven to be done on earth? You now begin to say, Lord, let your will be done on earth as you have decided in heaven. So after you finish praising God and now say, Father, I just want to thank you for today. Lord, I agree with you today. What is your purpose to be done on earth today? What are his purposes? His purpose is, is that souls shall be saved today. Those that are sick should be healed today. The devil should be cast out of, them, of Kansas City today. So begin to pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your will be done on the earth today. Lord, I pray for this nation, for this country, O oh God. Lord, I pray that your will will be done, O oh God. Lord, I speak to the Senate House, O oh God. I speak to the House of Representatives, O oh God. I ask in the name of Jesus that the decision that will be taken today, O oh God, that your will will be done in those decisions. Do you know that there are some decisions being, being taken in White House that are anti-God? You begin to pray that the will of God be done. Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the heart of kings are in the hands of God. And as water causes, as God directs water causes, God can direct the heart of kings. God is not limited to using Christians alone. God can use unbelievers to do his will. So begin to pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your will will be done in the White House today. Lord, I pray for our president, O God. I ask in the name of Jesus that you will fill his heart with wisdom, O God. That he will only take decisions, O God, according to your will and purposes, Lord. I pray for the state of Kansas, O God. Let your will be done today in the land of Kansas, O God. Lord, I pray for our governor, O God, that you will put even your wisdom in our heart, O God. That you will do only that which you will permit and allow in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the God, even for the city of Kansas, O oh God. We pray for the mayor, O oh God, that only decision that we have advanced your kingdom will be taken in Jesus' name. You begin to say, Lord, let your will be done. And as you are praying and God sees your heart, God will begin to drop some prayer points into your heart of what you should pray for. The Holy Spirit will begin to put into your heart what you should pray for. Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit of murder that is running rampage in the city of Kansas. The spirit of homicide that binds you. I command you to lose your grip on the city. In the name of Jesus, I command in the name of Jesus that there shall be no homicides again now. There shall be no murders again now. In the name of Jesus, begin to pray, begin to say, Lord, because those are the will of God. This is real prayer. The will of God being done on earth. He said, occupy till I come. So whatsoever you shall decide to be done on earth, everyone shall back you up and it shall be done. 
Are you flowing with me tonight? Pray that his will be done. Then you pray for your pastors. You pray for the church. Say, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for, for our pastors, oh God. As Pastor Kelly is in Kenya, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that your hand will be upon him for good. We ask in the name of Jesus that souls will get saved, oh God. We pray in the name of Jesus that your angels that excel in might, oh God. Can you see that as I'm praying, I'm praying the word of God. I'm not praying English language. <laughs> Though I'm praying in English, but I'm not praying English language. I'm praying the word. And I'm praying with passion and with compassion. Amen. Now, after you have prayed that the will of God be done on earth, as he has decided in heaven, then, then that you have met the need of God, God will now say, okay, what is your wish? What do you want? Then you now begin to pray your own personal prayers. But many of us just enter God's palace. God, can you do this for me? <laughs> can you do this for me? <laughs> you have failed some protocols. <laughs> you didn't praise him. You didn't worship him. You didn't ask that his will be done on earth. Say, God, give me my daily bread. Lord, my bills need to be paid. Who cares? Your bills need to be paid. You care about his business. He will take care of your business. Making sense? Then, he's now giving you a blanket, a blanket check. It's, can you imagine a multimillionaire giving you a check? He signed it. He put your name on it. But he didn't put any figure. Say, put any figure you want. Give us this day our daily bread. Then you begin to pray your own needs. But when you pray your needs, don't pray in English, please. Pray the word of God. Maybe you have bills that are due. I don't know where they are coming from. Just say, Father, I just want to thank you. Because you are the Lord, my provider. You are the Lord, my shepherd. I do not lack anything good. Father, I thank you because you have made provision for me in your word. You said, Lord, that you will meet all my need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I speak to my bills. You see, when you pray the will of God, there are some issues you don't beg. There are some things you don't beg God for. I see many people begging God for things he has already given them. Don't beg God for what he has given you. You ask, you demand. Father, in the name of Jesus, according to your word in Philippians 4.19, that you have supplied all my needs, according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I speak to my electric bill. I call you paid in Jesus' name. I speak to my insurance bill. I call you paid in the name of Jesus. Can you say the difference between the way I'm praying and the way you pray? Lord, please let this bill be paid. <laughs> he has given you authority. The Bible says that God that called those things that be not as though they were. Those things that are not. We saw in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that in verse 3 that we believe that the word of God framed or manufactured everything that we're seeing. Because the things that are invisible, I mean the things that are visible are made by things that are not seen. So your bill being not being paid, it's not yet seen. You want it seen. So speak the invisible. Lord, I speak to this bill. I call you paid in Jesus' name. 
I speak to my insurance bill. I call you paid in the name of Jesus. Because my God supply my need. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Maybe you are feeling some symptoms of headache. You don't say, God, please heal me. That is praying in English. Pray the word. Father, I thank you because your word says by the stripes of Jesus. I'm healed. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Headache. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Go right now. Lay hands on yourself. Lay hands on your sick child. Don't beg God for what he has given you. That's why our prayer life, we pray a lot, but we are not seeing results. Because the devil does not understand English. He understands the word of God. Are you guys blessed tonight? Now, so go to town. Paint the town red. Asking God to give you whatsoever you need. But don't be selfish. Pray for other people's needs as well. Amen. Then after that, don't you see that our God is good? The next one now says, forgive us our sins. <laughs> it's only God that can tell you that ask me what you need before you ask me to forgive your sins. He didn't put forgive our sins first. He said, praise me first. Because for you to even have audience with me, for you to have your sins forgiven, you have to have audience with him. With him. And for you to have audience with him, you need to be ushered into his presence. Right? So after you have even asked for your needs to be met, you now say, forgive me. Lord, whatever I've done, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you forgive me, O God. Lord, I ask, O God, that the blood of Jesus will cleanse me, O God. Lord, I ask that by the sprinkling of the blood, my conscience will be, will be purged from every dead works, O God. O Father God, your word says that sin shall no, ever, shall no longer have dominion over me. In the name of Jesus, this habit, you call it by name if you have a habit, I break you in the name of Jesus. Because the word of God says you shall no longer have dominion over me. I command you in the name of Jesus. Maybe you watch TV too much. The habit of watching TV, I command you shall no longer have dominion over me. Because the Bible says that sin shall no longer have dominion over me. You are under my feet in the name of Jesus. Today I am free. For the Bible says that he whom the son set free is free indeed. I am not in bondage to you. In the name of Jesus, I am free from today. You begin to break the hold of sin upon your life. Has God to forgive you. But remember, I said that as we forgive others. <laughs> <laughs> it's conditional. If you don't forgive that brother that offended you or that sister, sorry, your sins hang on over forgiving. Amen. Then the next one said, do not lead us into temptation. Mm, that's a big one there. You see, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he says, sufficient for every day is the evil thereof. Let me tell you, when you get home tonight, you guys, you're going to sleep. Right? But the devil doesn't sleep. The devil is planning for your tomorrow. <laughs> so that while you are sleeping, he's planning how to destroy you, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus said, sufficient for every day is the evil thereof. So when you wake up, no matter what the devil has planned for you while you are sleeping, <laughs> destroy that plan by saying, Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, every plan that the devil has for me today, Lord, I cancel it in Jesus' name. By saying that, you have just canceled all the planning was planning while you are sleeping. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
Every sickness and diseases, every wreck that the enemy has planned for me to have today, Lord, I cancel it in Jesus' name. Because <laughs> begin to pray, pray the word. <laughs> begin to pray the word. Begin to pray the word. Begin to cancel. Say, do not lead us into temptation. Lord, every lust that the enemy has planned for me today, I cancel it. And today, in the name of Jesus, I shall not fall into the trap of lust. In the name of Jesus. Maybe that's your problem. You begin to deal with that. You understand? You begin to deal with that. Lord, today, do not lead me into temptation, O God. <laughs> Amen. Do not lead us into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. I begin to pray, Lord, whatsoever the devil has planned for today, Lord, I destroy it, O God, and I overcome it in the name of Jesus. You destroy and pray all the plans of the devil. Then the next one says, but deliver us from the evil one. It goes together. Pull down strongholds. Pull down imagination. Let me tell you, as a Christian, the devil cannot do anything in your life until he has your permission. I said it earlier. The power the devil has over your life is the power you've given him. For instance, if the devil wants to get you sick, what does he do? He attacks you with a symptom. Maybe he attacks you with a headache. And a little bit of fever. And maybe from your own experience, headache and fever equals flu. Say, wow, it seems as if I'm going to get the flu. <laughs> Before you said that, you didn't have the flu. But when you confessed it out, you just got it. <laughs> you understand? So what the devil has done is he attacked you with headache and a mild fever and is now attacking your imagination and he wants you to agree with what he wants to bring upon your life. So when you agree with him by just saying, wow, it's not as if I'm going to have flu. Yay, and I did not take flu vaccination. <laughs> you just had it. So you begin to pull down. Say, headache, I don't know where you came from, but I know you came from hell. Go. There's no room in this body. Fever, you came from hell. Go back to sender. Back to sender in the name of Jesus. And maybe you have the stronghold of fear in your life. You have the stronghold of fear in your life, and it's injuring you. You're afraid. You're always afraid. You begin to pull down the stronghold. Deliver you. Said, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Because the devil has many of us in his grabs, in his grips from our past. You understand? Emotions of your past, everything in your past. He holds you by it. Amen. You want to set yourself free. Hallelujah. Then lastly, you end your prayer by saying, For yours is your kingdom and your power and your glory. You enter the presence of God with praise and thanksgiving and worship. And you exit from his presence with thanksgiving and worship. You begin to praise the name. Father, I just want to thank you. Because I believe, because your word says that when I've has according to your will, I have this confidence, O oh God, that you will. I will receive requests. I will receive answers to all my petitions. Lord, I want to thank you because you are the one that answers by fire. You are the one that answers all prayers, O oh God. Lord, thine is thy kingdom, O oh God. Thine is thy glory. Thine is thy power. Begin to bless the name of the Lord again as you exit in your prayer time.
Amen. Hey, if you fashion your prayer time according to this pattern Jesus gave us, your prayer will be more effective. And if you will stop praying in English and start praying in the Word of God, your prayer life will see more results. Amen. Because of time, I will just run through this last part. And there are different kinds of prayer. Another reason why many of us are not having uh, results in prayer. I'm very sorry for taking time tonight because this is actually two classes merging to one. Faith is a class on its own and prayer is a class on its own. But we don't want it to come for 12 weeks. <laughs> That's why we merge it together. Now, there are different kinds of prayer. One of the reasons why we are not having results in prayer, look at this. I have a bunch of keys. Now, this bunch of keys has about maybe 20 or more keys. And each key opens different doors. Now, this key here, this long one, is a key to my truck. This one here is the ignition to my car. This key here is the key to my office. Now, Let's assume I take the key to my office and I went to my truck <laughs> and I'm trying to open it. I'll be here till kingdom come. <laughs> because I was trying to open the truck with the key of the office. That's a problem. That's one of the major problems we have in Christianity. You are praying, but you do not realize that Different situations require different kinds of prayers. Though everything is prayer, but there are different kinds of prayer. So we have some basic types here. There are so many types, but our, if you just know these basics, <laughs> you are on your way to go in victory. We have the prayer of intercession. What is intercession? A prayer of intercession is like an advocate or a lawyer who stands before a judge, you know, you have a client that is standing in the court of law before the jury and you want to persuade the jury why your client should be discharged and acquitted. You must be a lawyer. Who is a lawyer? A lawyer is just somebody who knows the law. So you should be a spiritual or a Christian lawyer because the Bible, we call this Bible the book of the law. So you should be a lawyer. So an intercessor is somebody who goes before God and pleads the case of another person, why that person should be set free. Are you playing with me tonight? Who is the judge? God is the judge. Who is the person you are pleading his case? The person you are interceding for. And you go before God and the lawyer does not use English language to convince the jury or the judge. He uses the word of the law. Say, according to the Constitution, it quotes the session, it quotes the subsession, it quotes everything. And it quotes precedents. In a case, in 1947, Judge Soso and So decided the case in favor of Soso client. He gave, he gave the jury and the judge the reason why this person should be set free. All right? Maybe you have a family member who is not a believer. But that person is dying. 
and you know if they die, they go to hell. And you can stand in the place of intercession, one, to stop that person from dying, and two, to get their salvation. Now, that person does not seem to have a right to either, because they're not saved. But you know the book of the law, because the Bible says that Jesus died for the whole world, including that family member that's not saved. Now go before God. Say, Father, your word says that if we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Lord, I lay hands on my niece or my cousin, and I command that to be healed right now. You understand? Father, your word says that I will be saved and my household. Lord, this person is a member of my household, and I demand right now that this person be saved. Lord, I ask, oh God, that you will touch his heart or her heart. I ask right now that you begin to minister your salvation grace to, to that person. You begin to intercede. You begin to plead your case before God that why that person should be healed and why that person should be saved using the word of God. Does that make sense to you? That's prayer of intercession. Then we have prayer of supplication. Supplication is a passionate prayer for mercy or a divine intervention, even when it is not deserved. Maybe somebody has committed something terrible and they needed to be punished for what they did. But you are pleading the mercy of God. You have been there before. I have been there before. You did something stupid. <laughs> and if God should allow judgment to flow, <laughs> maybe you'd be a dead man. And you're just asking for mercy. You can't quote scripture that your word says, <laughs> that one is mercy. <laughs> just plead mercy. Lord, what I need is mercy. Lord, I have no plea but to say mercy, Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon this person. Lord, have mercy, O God. Lord, your word says that you rejoice in mercy over judgment. Lord, you say that your mercy takes precedence over judgment. Lord, let your mercy prevail. Eh? Lord, have mercy on my knees. Lord, have mercy on my cousin. Lord, have mercy on my father, O God. Lord, though he does not know you, Lord, though he has lived his life not for you, Lord, but I'm asking for your mercy, O God. Lord, let your mercy prevail, O God. In the name of Jesus, O God, let your mercy prevail in this situation. You began to plead the mercy of God. That is supplication. That person may not have deserved that prayer, but everybody has free access to the mercy of God when somebody supplicates on their behalf. Then we have the prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of thanksgiving is a prayer acknowledging the mercy, the goodness of the Lord. Prayer of thanksgiving and praise. When you have pray all manners of prayer, nothing is working. Praise God. Enter into the prayer of thanksgiving. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, 67 verse 5 and 6. It says that when you praise God, the earth will yield its increase. When you praise God, the earth will yield its increase. Psalm 67 verse 5 and 6. Amen. Then also another form of prayer is worship. <laughs> Woo! Worship is a powerful tool. Powerful. There are people who have been healed in worship without nobody praying for them, without nobody laying hands on them. Because when you worship God, God himself comes down in his presence by his spirit. And when God comes down, sickness and disease cannot stand. They will just naturally flee. 
demons cannot stand in the presence of God. They will come out of people who are demon-possessed. So sometimes when we are worshiping, take advantage of the atmosphere of worship and do some warfare. Amen. So worship can become a form of warfare. I'm remembering just right now, there was a time we went on a crusade somewhere in my country, Nigeria. It's a Muslim-dominated area. And in that place, if you mention Jesus, you are a dead man. You can't, you can't give them tracts. They will put a dagger by your side, your, your tummy. <laughs> they will rip you open. <laughs> it's that crazy. But because we are on there on assignment from the federal government of Nigeria, they dare not touch us. So, because we are, the government sent us to do some assignment for one year over there, and they gave us uniform. So our uniform is our humanity. They cannot touch us. So we went to preach. So, but as we are preaching, they came, and their children were stoning us in order to scatter us. Then there was one anointed sister. She just broke out into a, a song. I don't know whether I should call it worship. No, she was singing. She just said, All we are saying, Jesus is Lord. They are raining stones on us. Then the choir just took over. All we are saying, Jesus is Lord. We began to sing with passion. We don't know what happened. These people ran away. Something happened around us that those guys ran away. Then when we saw them running away, we now went to the ruler of that place. We said, go warn your children. Or else they'll get in trouble. <laughs> Because the fear of the Lord was released into the atmosphere when we broke into worship. We could have taken harms in the physical and fight back. But we took the spiritual. All we are saying, Jesus is Lord. And because we are declaring in the spirit that Jesus is Lord, it came down. And a rain ambushment against our enemy. As you begin to praise and worship God in your life, God will come down and it will begin to rain ambushment against your enemies. Amen. Say amen to that. Amen. Hallelujah. And lastly, I'll talk about the prayer of consecration. It's a simple prayer. There are times God has revealed his will to you, for you to do. But somehow, your flesh does not want to do it. You pay a prayer of consecration, the type that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus looked at the cross <laughs> and he said, Lord, Father God, is there another route? <laughs> His flesh does not want to go through the cross. He said, Lord, he said, Father, if it were possible, can we change plans and let me not go for, to this cross? <laughs> and the Father said, there's no other, no other way. It's okay. Not my will but your will be done. When God has revealed his will to you, and it seems to you as if the will of God is difficult for you to take, and you know you must take it, you have to pray the prayer of consecration to break your flesh. 
to break your own will so that the will of God will be done in your life. Say, Father, not my will. Begin to pray. Say, Father, though my flesh does not want this, though I don't want this, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done. When you begin to pray, then begin to give you the grace to be able to accept his will for your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Because of time, I will just stop there. But let me end by saying, you have to allow the Holy Ghost to help you to pray. You have to allow the Holy Ghost to help you to pray. The Holy Ghost knows the will of God for you. And when you begin to pray, I begin to pray with the Holy Ghost helping you. You flowing with me? The Holy Ghost will begin to give you directions in prayer. The Holy Ghost will begin to give you what to pray for and how to pray. And the Holy Ghost can give you his compassion and the passion to pray intensely so that you can pray according to the will of God for you. Amen. Let's rise up on our feet tonight. Amen. I'm sorry I took so much time. I took liberty because you guys are just pulling some things out of me. You guys are so hungry for this word. You're just pulling it out. Amen. But I'm sorry for taking your time. But I hope it's worth your time. Amen. Let's just begin to give praise to God tonight for what you've heard. And begin to pray that what you've heard, that you'll be able to apply it into your life, that your prayer life will change. And you begin to see results in prayer. Begin to bless them of the Lord tonight. Oh, Father, we just want to thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for your word that came, oh God. Lord, we thank you for your word that has a free cost in our midst to God. We thank you for the entrance of your, love, of your word that brings life, that brings understanding to the simple, oh God. Lord, I've released.